on that metal introduction. Hello, everyone. This is the Radledge and Broadcasting Network's Movie Review Club. I'm Robert Winfrey. That's Mark Radledge. Hi, Mark. Hello there, sir. No protracted intro. Uh, if you were unable to decipher that bit of uh, metal joy, that is a metal music rendition of the Peanuts theme, because tonight... Mark and I are reviewing the Peanuts movie. It came out last week. It came out the same week as Spectre, and, well, Spectre was a bigger deal. So we reviewed Spectre last week and the Peanuts movie this week, because this week everyone else had the good sense to stay out of the way. <laughs> uh, hey, you, you don't want to be – you try to avoid coming out the same week as a major deal, and if you can avoid the week after, it's not the worst thing in the world. So before this goes any further – October was a real shit month for movies. The Martian won almost every week because every other movie that came out after The Martian was a hot piece of garbage. And yeah. there, have been some, there was some, some truly monumental uh, flops this year. I think Gem and yeah. the Hologram, I think, tops the list. But they're still saying, and this is the, this is the point that I'm making, they're still saying with the ones that hit and Star Wars on the horizon... This may, 2015 may be the best year in movies yet, in terms of gross ticket sales. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, you know, for all the crap that we have given certain movies this year, much of it deserved, because you and I tend to be balanced when we review movies, there have been some phenomenal successes. I mean, we've had, what, three movies so far this year break a billion dollars? Four. Four. I mean, we're and movies are being released in wider markets. I mean, there's no reason it shouldn't. I mean, and again, the crap movies aside, the movies that have hit have hit pretty darn big. I mean, Avengers: Age of Ultron was always going to be huge. Jurassic World monumentally overperformed, oh, especially considering it's a rather soulless retelling of Jurassic Park. But that aside, Jurassic World. Um... One billion six hundred thousand, and I'm rounding here. Furious Seven, both Universal, one million five hundred thousand. The Avengers: Age of Ultron, one million four hundred thousand, and fucking Minions, one million one hundred and fifty thousand. If you're okay with something like Jurassic World or Transformers making that kind of money, you can't be angry about Minions doing it. You just can't. The, re- <laughs> the remaining six movies are between. Over five hundred thousand and eight hundred and fifty thousand. I mean, yeah, it's, oh, Spectre made the list. Spectre, Spectre, oh, Spectre's out the list here. considering it's only been out two weeks. It's the number eight. It's number eight on the list, uh, sandwiched in between Fifty Shades of Meow um, and uh, Cinderella. Well, so it's between a utterly awful film and a very well done <laughs> film. So. And I'll let you all decide which one of those I'm talking about with each one. But we've got another strong overperformer tonight in the Peanuts movie. I mean, this thing came out at number two. I mean, nothing was going to beat Spectre, let's be clear about that. But Peanuts has held on to the number two spot for a couple of weeks. And, I mean, just before we get into the movie itself from a financial standpoint, I mean, it's got some legs to it. You know, it's... I mean, it's still got a little bit of ways to become truly profitable, but it's doing very well. You know, a lot of people are enjoying it. 
Uh, it's the only family-friendly movie until The Good Dinosaur comes out in a few weeks. So it's well-positioned to make money. It comes out next week. Okay. Still. <laughs> Just trying to keep you on track there, sir. My apologies. Yes, we are doing The Good Dinosaur next week. Yeah, comes I mean, out the day before Thanksgiving. Yeah, because that's just the brightest idea. No, that's actually a really good, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas are both actually strong movie markets. Well, which if, is you're odd, releasing, if you're releasing stuff that you, that, that, you know, that kids are going to go see, you want to do it over a long holiday weekends because, you know, look, I have kids, and I, and I will tell you that if you've had them home for a few days, depending on the age of your, depending on the age of your children, there comes a time you're just like, fuck this, we're going to the movies because I don't want to talk to you for two hours. That's how it goes. Uh, I I completely understand. Uh, Spectre knocks San Andreas off the list. That might have been Warner Brothers' only only addition. Yeah. Oh, my God. In terms of... My dog completely is uh, baffled by this. So the only movie we were talking this year we've been piling on Warner Brothers because this has not been a good year for them. Last year they did Fireman, The Hobbit, they had a few other movies. Twenty fourteen was a perfectly good year for Warner Brothers, and the Rattles and Broadcasting Network in general tends to pile on Warner Brothers for their previous DC Comics films, Um, with good reason. But I can't say that every year has been some monumental fuck up after another. Twenty fourteen was fine. This year. They are on record as having the worst movie, Jupiter Ascending, in terms of uh, biggest bomb. And they were—they only had one film in the top ten of highest-grossing films of 2015. It was San Andreas with The Rock, and Spectre knocked it off the list. Well, again, Ooh. much as I enjoyed San Andreas, Spectre's a vastly superior movie. It's also the only movie uh, that MGM Columbia has on the list. Paramount only has only one, and that's um, Mission Impossible. The rest are split between Universal and some form of Disney. Well, uh, for those of you who actually want us to review this freaking movie, it's going to be a quick review. That's why we're kind of talking a little bit about (laughs) some of the finances and the the year in review so far. Uh, Get on! Talk about I'm not sure MGM has had that many major releases this year, have they? I'd have to go back and look. Um, well, I mean, Lionsgate is going to hit pretty huge the next couple of weeks when The Hunger Games comes out. Yeah, I'll be curious to see if, if that makes the the, uh, the top if that knocks something else out of the top ten, like Cinderella. It, or, I would be surprised if it didn't. Um, so, looking at the peanuts. Uh, it's getting close. The budget was $99 million. Um, their current, according to Wikipedia, as of today, their box office is $92.3 million um, overall. It needs to be noted, there's also quite a few foreign markets that movie has not opened in yet. That's almost exclusively uh, returns in the United States. Um, yeah. I, looking, how did I link to that all of a sudden? Go back. Peanuts movie. There we go. So domestic, it's done uh, $84 million. Uh, foreign so far, only $7 million, almost $8 million. 
Uh, so worldwide, they're at 92, 93, somewhere in there. Uh, but it's got more other, it's got other markets too to open up in. So yeah, it's getting there. I imagine it'll wind up getting there. I mean, again, with some major markets and you know, peanuts for as much as it is Americana in many ways, also translates very well to you know other markets. And that's, I suppose that's as good a segue as we're going to get into talking about the actual movie. Um, the crux of this movie, there are really two stories being told in this movie. One is Charlie Brown attempting to win favor and be noticed by the little red-haired girl. This is a lot for you know fans of the strip and whatnot. This is a long-standing thing with him. These uh, his attempts to win her favor are interspersed with uh, Snoopy taking on the Red Baron yet again, which is always good for a laugh. And it's it's very necessary to have the Snoopy kind of subplot going on because otherwise this is a very short movie, and. It's a nice change of pace whenever we get to, you know, see Snoopy's imagination land, which is, again, awesome. But this, uh, it's a very typical Peanuts story. Uh, Charlie Brown attempts things. Charlie Brown fails at things like flying his kite, which he tries to do in winter because the kite-eating tree is now devoid of leaves and therefore theoretically will not eat his kite. It was a mentality decision. You said hibernating. That's all the snow. Which is an intelligent decision on his part if he's only worried about the tree. It still doesn't work because Charlie Brown never flies the kite, theoretically. He, you know, there's a brief subplot in here wherein he gets a perfect score on a standardized test that was actually belongs to Peppermint Patty, who just filled out a smiley face on her page, which really serves as a further indictment of standardized <laughs> testing as opposed to anything else. Yeah, so uh, she, she Christmas trees the test, and then in, in, in her and Charlie Brown turn the test at the same time, and she just puts her name on his paper. Yeah, they forgot to sign their names and uh, have to scramble to do so as they're turning in the papers and their papers get swapped. Uh, at the very end, and this is one of the things that is, and we're going to wind up again. There's not a whole lot of plot here, all right. Well, uh, one of the first thing we can talk about is what do the critics think of this movie? And uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I want to say this came up uh, certified fresh. I'm looking it up now. Uh, I believe its top critics is somewhere around seventy-seven, seventy-nine. Uh, its right, yeah, audience reaction is into the high eighties. The Peanuts movie is certified fresh at 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it was mostly, yeah, 85% um, of the audience liked it. Uh, most of the critics, their opinion of the movie ran somewhere between this is the perfect Charlie Brown movie to this is an acceptable introduction to Charlie Brown. But that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the fuckbags who decided to give this a rotten review. Uh, Before we get into that, I want to get through the movie itself, and then we can spend the last 30 minutes 
obliterating those idiots. Okay. Because, look, look, let me be clear about this, everyone. This is not a groundbreaking film, okay? This is a Peanuts movie. Everyone and their dog, and that particular phrase being especially apropos given, you know, Snoopy, should know what they're getting into with these movies, all right? Now, that's for the adults. For kids who are not familiar with the strip, and this is their introduction, it's great. It's a fine introduction. If you've never seen it, it's a great return to the Peanuts world for those of us who grew up with it. Bear in mind, I was not growing up with it live, but it, I was, you know, when I grew up, was growing up, I did, you know, the, the Charlie Brown holiday specials. Uh, I had a tape of Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown, that I watched frequently. Because Charlie Brown in Paris is when. Uh, there's, uh, again, there's a lot of, good. Go ahead, finish, but then I want to jump in here. Uh, so again, there's, you know, it's a great intro. It's a great return. You know, some of, when Charlie Brown talks about his past failures, uh, and if you grew up with the stuff, with the strip and the various associated properties, you can pick out when he's failing, you know, where it comes from. Like, oh, it, you know, he tries to decorate his Christmas tree for Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown, it fails. Because the poor little, it's the only live tree he could get his hands on, and it's, you know, three feet tall and anemic. Uh, you know, things like that. So it, it's not, it manages to simultaneously appeal to longtime fans and new fans, which is a very difficult thing to do. I have to give credit to everyone involved for being able to walk that particular tightrope. And, I mean, it's animated. Not it's a computer animated instead of hand drawn, which is not a big deal for me. Uh, they kept the animation style, you know, even in even the you know the style they did it in, even with computers, was still very true to what you know Charles Schultz had created with a pencil and paper back in the fifties, which is again not an easy task to do, but they managed to do it. Um. You know, I, I got I liked the movie. You know, I and again, there's a few things I want to touch on before we really get into idiots out there. And bear in mind, I accept legitimate criticism of movies that I like. I, I I'm not one of these people who thinks I like it, therefore it is of high quality. All right, and, and you people out there, you know who you are, you narcissists. All right, hang Just on. Before be- you before you run wild on this, real quick. Um, I uh, I grew up with the Peanuts as well. Uh, I re- I used to have tons of their books. In fact, people might remember the like they were hardcore coll- hardcore hardcover collection of Peanuts comics, black and white ones, where uh, they were double they were double sided. And one side of the book they were printed one way, and then the other side of the book they were printed upside down. Um, you know, and so you had sort of you know, two two books sort of smashed together. Uh, I had paperback books. I watched all the sorts. I was a big Peanuts fan when I was a kid. My father was a Peanuts fan. And, you know, as a father now, my, uh, <clears throat> myself, I'm sort of living through the things that I enjoyed as a kid through the eyes of my own children, which, you know, what you do as a parent. And so I was very curious to see what my daughter would think of it because, I mean, you know, like I said, Peanuts was something that I was very involved in when I was a kid and, and enjoyed, but it's, it's not one of the things I've, I've held on to, like, say, Marvel comic book superheroes. You know, when, before my son was even born, like, how are we going to decorate the nursery? No, um, he's 
we're decorating it in Marvel superheroes. That's what we're decorating it. You know, I mean, there are certain things that I have kept up with and sort of foisted upon my children, whether they liked it or not. Um, Star Wars is another one. But other things they, they have no connection to, and uh, the Peanuts was one of them. So I was curious to see what my daughter was going to think of this because she, all she knew was I was taking her to uh, a movie. She had no other knowledge of what these characters were. And I think to that extent, maybe in her four years on this planet, we've watched the Peanuts special maybe once or twice. I think one Halloween, I made her watch the, uh, the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. I think we might have done a Christmas one. But, it, like I said, it wasn't well, something Well, you know, the, Thanksgiving, uh, the Peanuts Thanksgiving is the weakest of those three. So, <laughs> um, But I don't think I've, I've really I've, I've gone out of my way to connect her to the Charlie Brown universe. And, uh, and her reaction was a very positive one. Um, oh, a lot of kids in the theater, and they were cheering by the end of the movie. They were cheering for Snoopy against the Red Baron when, you know, oh, I'll let Robert tell it, but um, at the conclusion of the movie with Charlie Brown and the little redhead girl, they were happy for Charlie Brown. Um, they laughed big at the gags. They were sad when he was sad. I mean, you think, you know, people were, were, were the audience that I saw it with, and it was a filled theater, full of families and children, uh, were tapped in, and they were with the hero. They were, they were with Charlie Brown. Um, and, you know, I always like to share my daughter's reaction to things. You know, I always make her talk about the movie when we're done. And uh, <laughs> it's funny. Um, when you ask my daughter a direct question, she has a tendency to sort of give you a flip answer. So, like, Lily, how was your day at school? It was great. And, like, tries to run away before you ask any follow-up questions. Um, <laughs> that's like how the movie is. And she'll just say it's great. And she won't really give any other feedback. But what was very telling about this movie compared to some of the other ones we've seen this year, like Hotel Transylvania or Penguins of Madagascar or Minions, um, my daughter has a very, very vivid imagination. And she tends to uh, put herself if she connects to something, she puts herself in it. So, for example, um, she got really into PJ Mask over the last couple of months. If you don't know what PJ Mask is, uh, there's storybooks that were adapted for Disney Junior, and it's three like kindergarten kids who turn into superheroes. Um, she just thinks the show is the bee's knees. And I would, and before I knew what it was and what the hell she was talking about, I would hear her say, "Now, Dad, I'm Catboy's mother," and Catboy is character on the show you know and she was she would just prattle on and on and on about how she was in the show with the characters so while she didn't necessarily sit down and have an in-depth discussion of the plot and you know and the themes of charlie brown i heard her telling me on the ride home that she was the new girl at school and that charlie brown was try, trying to get attention from her and you know, she kept telling the story. At her, she kept telling the story as she was the little redhead girl. So she did connect to it on that level. Um, the one thing she did tell me when I asked her what you think of the movie was uh, she liked Peppermint Patty. That was her. Well, Peppermint Patty is an athletic. I mean, you know, we jo- the lesbian <laughs> jokes aside. Mm-hmm. You're, uh, again, I don't know your family personally, but your daughter strikes me as active, and Peppermint Patty is the you know active, you know, baseball, hockey, very into sports. So she, I, I would have imagined, I mean, you keep telling me that your daughter's, you know, full heel. So she, I would have assumed Lucy, but after that, I would have gotten with Peppermint Patty. 
I think the connection for her was, and, and this relates to the movie, so people aren't just getting like the biography of my children. Um, Peppermint Patty was one of the standout characters of the movie. She had a very specific character. She stood out among some of the other, you know, because you have like Violet and, and the other blonde girl that are always picking on Charlie Brown. But honestly, I know their names because I've read the comics. I'm very familiar with this universe. But they ask people, like, who are the Charlie Brown characters? Oh, Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, Snoopy. All right, well, who's the girl in the purple dress? I don't fucking know. It's Violet. You know, <laughs> I don't even remember her, her buddy with the blonde hair. Bonnie. But there you go. Um, but they don't stand out as much. Um, Lucy stands out, but she's mean. You know, she's, she's a jerk. So, and then, and, you know, maybe you might notice Marcy, but they barely notice Marcy in that universe. So, so you're talking about what might a girl latch on to in terms of other girls in that universe. Pepper and Patty is a very strong character. She's yeah. not mean to Charlie Brown. You know, she has a great affection for Charlie Brown historically and in the movie. But she's not particularly girly either. You know, she's, she's sort of an interesting role model for, uh, for little girls. So I think that that might have been what, you know, and she's funny. She's a very funny character. You know, like when, they, uh, when Charlie Brown announces that, uh, you know, he can't accept the award for the, for the test because it's not his, it's hers, she's sleeping. <laughs> you know? Passed out you know, in the assembly with a hockey stick. Yeah. yeah. She... Um, you know, she she gets Charlie Brown to bring cupcakes to the dance, and she pretty much does so by just telling him to do it, not really listening to him when he says, I can't. You know, it, it, she's, a, she's a very strong character, and so it was interesting that that's, that's who my, my daughter focused on. And she liked the movie. Uh, again, there's very little plot here. The movie ends with, you know, Charlie Brown has failed spectacularly, as he is wont to do. And I want to touch on, and I, I need to touch on elements of that when we, in a in a couple of minutes here, about you know the importance of that within Charlie Brown, the character in the Peanuts universe and whatnot. But at the very end, the little red-haired girl volunteers to be his pen pal for the summer, and for the life of him, he can't figure out why. <laughs> Uh, he, right before she leaves off for summer camp, he is able to get a hold of her, spend a couple of minutes talking, and fig- and you know she has seen through his you know failures of execution to see that no, you're an honest guy, you're brave, you have you, know, you sacrificed your own shot at glory to help out your little sister. You know, there's all these things that you have done that make you fundamentally a good person, and so I want to you know be attached to you within that in that way. And it's, I mean, on many levels, it's, you know, that's great. That's a great way to end the movie because what Charlie Brown is fundamentally about, and if you know anything about the life of Charles Schultz, you'll know that Charlie Brown is very much an autobiographical character. It's about failing at everything, but not being deterred by it. That is, if you wanted to boil down Charlie Brown to his essence, he never flies his kite. He never kicks the football. He, you know, never goes to the dance, never asks out the girl, never, you know, all the things that he, ju- he fails. And it never stops him from trying, and it never really gets him down. And that is, 
again, that's the essence of the character. And they like did a the wonderful way. job conveying that. Um, again, before we talk I like, about... I like, the way that it, I like the way that it ended. Um, as you said, you know, he, he chases after her and he says, you know, I have done nothing right, nothing, nothing at all. Why would you want to? Why would Why would you uh, want to be my friend? And she kind of lays out. She says, like, you know, where you see failure, I see somebody who is a decent human being. I mean, I'm not. That's not a line, but that's basically what she's saying. You know, you're good to your sister. You're a funny guy. You're You're thoughtful. You You know, you 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 are. Uh, you're considerate of others, and that makes you good. And And for that reason, I, I'll be your friend. And I thought it was a great way of uh, uh, getting off, getting him off the hook is probably not the best way of putting it. But, you know, as you said, you talk about the born loser, right? He's, he's the person for which nothing ever goes right. You know, he gets called blockhead, um, you know, throws, throws, throws a Thanksgiving, nothing goes right. His dog is always like outshining him. You know, he just, just wants a loyal dog and the dog is, and the dog is, you know, got a hundred times the personality that he does. That sort of thing. Um, it was a way for him to win the girl without winning the girl. You know, she she chose him despite his flaws. He didn't necessarily uh, do anything out of character to win her. You know, he, he didn't win in the end. She chose him. And some people really didn't like that ending. They thought that it was... They thought that it cheapened the character. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm going on about oh, this. Oh, what a crock of... They thought it cheapened the character. They thought that that's not Charlie Brown. Like, I don't know what they want in, in the end for Charlie Brown. Like, like, the girl that spit in his face? I don't... <laughs> like, I don't know what... You know, the thing with the comic strips is that those went on ad infinitum. They, they went yeah, on forever. This is a movie. You, you need to close your narrative, and right. you can't close it... And you're not going to close a family kids movie with the little red-haired with the little red-haired girl just vanishing into the ether and Charlie Brown moping on a stone fence with Linus. You can end a right. comic strip that way, because hey, come back next week. But right. this is a film; they're totally different mediums. Yeah, I mean, look, you can look, you can absolutely sort of take chances in film with sad endings, um, interesting endings. Um, you can you can experiment and do things that, like The Sopranos. It'll be a failure, but you can at least try. And I will, you know, something like The Sopranos ending that just cuts off mid fucking sentence for some odd reason, um, which is the only thing I know about that show other than what it's about. Uh, I will defend on its face for at least they were trying something interesting. You shouldn't try that tack though with a children's film. It's it's easy money if you if you don't treat children like idiots and you tell a fun story and you tell a good story and with that kind of a thing you really don't like you said you don't want to end it with Charlie Brown you know moping on the uh, on the stone wall and Linus feeding him uh, you know philosophical viewpoints kids are going to be like what the fuck are we watching here and not to mention so will the adults the adults are going to be looking around going I don't what. <laughs> Where's our happy ending here? And some might say, like, oh, you know, typical stupid audiences, you know, you know, they, they, they have to have a happy ending. Yes, it's a children's film. Get over it. Look, I'm a big believer in happy endings. Again, cynical me, you know, believes in, you know, I have a podcast on Fridays devoted to villains. 
I still believe in happy endings fundamentally because adversity exists to be overcome. When we stop telling stories and encouraging our children to actually overcome the adversity and instead want them to sink into the malaise of depression, we have fundamentally failed as a society. <laughs> um, so to get back to the original statement, I like the way that it ended. I like that. I like that. I liked what the message there was. And even if not every kid got the message, who fucking cares? Um, I don't, you know, I like that that there's a message there. I don't necessarily insist that the ter- every child from one to whatever age was in the audience gets it. Um, but, you know, I like the idea that being yourself and being a fundamentally good person and life will not always reward you every step of the way. But, you know, if you believe in karma, you know, if you believe in things work, you know, working out for the best, you'll probably do do better more often than not by just generally being a decent person, not trying, just being a decent person. And that's, that's the essence of Charlie Brown is this is who he is. Um, uh, I, 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 real quickly, I want to get through, you know, what we thought might be, you know, funniest or best moments. Uh, you and I had a similar one in that you apparently cheered in the studio when Snoopy finally got one over on the Red Baron. Yes. <laughs> I uh, that. For those of you who don't know, or are not familiar with Peanuts lore, one of Snoopy's ongoing imaginations is him as a World War I flying ace who goes after the Red Baron. This is just one of his daydreams, because Snoopy's awesome. However, even in his daydream, Snoopy never beats the Red Baron. Every time he takes off to engage the Red Baron in aerial combat, he loses. Every single time. That, I mean, I, I was happy in the movie when they did the bit where he stands on his doghouse and turns and salutes the Baron as his plane, which is his doghouse, slowly fades out, you know, goes down in frame, because that's what he always does. When every time he is bested by the Baron, stand, salute, survive plane crash, make your way through the French countryside, Repeat. I mean, th- this is you know, like the Raven and Tommy Dreamer of comics is Snoopy <laughs> and the Red Baron. Right? He, it just never happens. And for him to finally get one over, he doesn't shoot the Red Baron down, but he is able to temporarily best him, save his imaginary girlfriend, because this all takes place in his head. But he saves the French poodle Fifi, who is the love of his, this character's life? Same sort of the Kristen Zeppelin Chen- and it's going down. This is important. Fifi, played by Kristen Chenoweth. Uh, why is that important? Because it is. Just trust me, it is. I, I have no idea who that is. You don't know who Kristen Chenoweth is? No. The actress? I am aware she's an actress, but beyond that, I got nothing. Really? Do you have a. Another role I could draw a frame of reference from? Yeah, hang on one second. I'm going to fix you good. All right. I had like three or four, I think, legitimate kind of laugh moments in this movie. Uh, one, it, it, what you find amusing in Peanuts is very much a personal thing, I think, as with all comedy, but one of the things I liked about both the strip and this movie is that, you know, with vastly different life experiences, there are things within this movie that you can find amusing. 
Uh, as the owner of a beagle who makes her presence known on the podcast with bays every now and then, Snoopy stealing Charlie Brown's cupcakes, for example. I, I laughed at that because a beagle would do that. Um, honestly, I swear, this is the funny. This was the funniest thing to me as I was watching it in the theater. Uh, following Charlie Brown reading War and Peace in a weekend, uh, which I'm not entirely sure is practical, much less. Yeah. Again, that bit, you know, again, jokes about that aside. And there was one about him trying to move the physical copy of War and Peace that he had and being unable to. Uh, that made me laugh. He, the way he got it on his sled was just. Okay. I got, uh, I got some Christmas right. channel with you. Yeah. Fine. Go ahead and uh, try. She's Maleficent in The Descendants. Doesn't mean anything to me. Sugar Plum Fairy and She's the Sugar Plum Fairy in Strange Magic. Haven't seen it. She's Vicky Lansing in The Boy Next Door. Haven't seen it. She's Kemp in The Opposite of Sex. Haven't seen it. Gabby in Rio 2. Haven't seen it. Uh, She's Rosetta in Tinkerbell and the Great Fairy Rescue. Haven't seen it. (laughs) She's Linda Salerno in Into Temptation. Haven't seen it. She's Kilowatt in Space Chimps. I haven't seen it. This is not going well. Uh, <laughs> she's Anchor Woman in Stranger Than Fiction. Uh, have seen it. Uh, doesn't stand out to me. She's Fern Stewart in Running With Scissors. Haven't seen it. She's Maria Kelly in Bewitched. The movie? Uh, yes. Haven't seen it. She was herself on the recent episode of The Muppets. Um. Oh, wait a minute. I know her. Yeah, she, she's in the final two seasons of The West Wing. Okay. Short, blonde, uh, perennially cast as a country girl. Okay, I, I remember now. We good, we good now? I'll forget three minutes later, but... Because she's terribly irrelevant, but okay. For the purposes of, despite you going through innumerable children's stories, you could have just said she was in the West Wing, and that actually would have triggered my memory, but... I never watched the West Wing. I think you'd enjoy it. There's some very good seasons. Anyway, now that we're off of that particular topic, I think the funniest sight gag I had in the whole movie occurs after Charlie Brown gets ink on his hands while trying to write his book report on War and Peace. And his response is to wipe... He's just wearing a red shirt. You know, he wipes the ink off from his hands on his shirt, and they come away with the traditional Charlie Brown zigzag across his shirt. I was the only guy in the theater, but I laughed. Not that I was the only person in that theater at that time. There was, you know, a couple of other families there, but I laughed at that. I thought it was... I don't know why, but... Floral and spicy. A beautiful decay of thorns. Okay, I'm trying to turn this off. I'm sorry. All right. But I, again, I just the way he moved, you know, he wipes his hands off on his shirt, looks down, and there's the Charlie Brown, you know, zigzag across his shirt. And I, I laughed. <laughs> it, it amused me. Um, okay, I'm going to tell you something I didn't like about the movie. You ready? All right. The All right, go ahead. Point there comes a point with a character where, like, 
I, I get the idea of Charlie Brown, obviously. I just went through a whole thing where I said, you know, I read all the books and the comics and everything. Um, so I, I accept that about Charlie Brown. But there's just something innate in me, something internal in me, where I just cannot... It, it, there comes a point where if you don't do for yourself and you're just constantly a sad sack and wallowing and you refuse to try to make your own way and you just sort of accept that you'll never, nothing will ever work out for you. There comes a point where I stop cheering. <laughs> there comes a point where, where I just, I can't take it anymore. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. You're a loser. And there's no reason why I should stay with you. And I didn't get to that point with this movie, but I almost got there. And it really is the difference between a 22-minute special on ABC or CBS, you know, or a comic strip where you're only getting little dribs and drabs of that with Charlie Brown, and it's it's over in just enough time before you become truly fed up with this character. And in this movie, it it got to the border. It you know we we were we were just at Mordor before uh, I you know before the movie pulled back and I was like okay I can still deal with you Charlie Brown because he really does sort of as he should, and it was good writing on, on the part of the writers of the movie, uh, pull back from being a complete disaster. You know, he when he goes after the little redhead girl at the very end to find out why, you know, she she wants to write him, that was enough for me to say, okay, you are still worthy. But boy, did they get close. Because it was, it was kind of like my feeling was with Inside Out where I said, there came a point in the movie where I just felt like they were throwing things in there to make the journey longer. And, and I somewhat similar feeling with this movie where it was like, okay, how much of a fucking loser are you, Charlie Brown? <laughs> you know, how bad is this going to get? Because it was testing my patience. And like I said, we, we got there and they pulled far back enough and I was like, all right, I'm still with you. But uh, yeah, he, he got, he really did get to the edge of, being so, be, devoid of any reason to continue to believe in him. Like, the, you know, there was just, he, <clears throat> there was just so much, like, where, so, so much, so many scenes in a row. Think, I think mean, one of the reviewers, like, complained that they had the stuff with Snoopy in there. You absolutely need the Snoopy. Oh, you need subplot it. With you Baron. need to, Snoopy to, in this movie. To break up. Because otherwise, you're getting 45 minutes of the saddest, most depressed kid ever with no reason to continue to cheer him on. Snoopy breaks that up. So you know, I debate with you that Charlie Brown is the saddest, most depressed kid ever. I don't think Charlie Brown is depressed. Um, maybe not, not the right word, but do you see what I mean? Like I, I do. There's I do. The movie would have been would have been too much of one thing had they just dealt with Charlie Brown. You needed Snoopy. You needed to have another hero in the movie to kind of rally behind while Snoopy. Well, well, well. Charlie Brown was sort of getting his head together. Now, what what keeps Charlie Brown from going that far for me is again his continued effort. You know, he wants to impress the little red-haired girl. He doesn't just moan about it. He re- Okay, there's going to be a dance. She likes to dance. Oh, crap, I can't dance. At which point, you know, Snoopy, his faithful dog, 
sighs loudly and gets out, you know, the steps you put on the floor to teach someone to dance. But I, but here's the thing I'm saying. I felt like they got to a point in the movie where he did stop trying. And I don't remember about where it is or what finally changes his mind. But I really, but I think that's because I remember having that visceral feeling of, well, if you give up, then why are we still here? But it was like they just touched it and then quickly pulled back. There was a bit of that after his book report died, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> right. I mean, look, I'm a sucker for running gags, okay? I just am. And the you know, Linus's model of the Red Baron plane floating around in the background occasionally made me laugh every time it showed up because it starts at the beginning of the movie and it's just, again, a running gag. So the fact that that's the thing that as his paper, which has been launched into the air, is slowly floating back down to him, it hasn't been blown off course. It's not over a, you know, a lake. It's just went up in the air. It's coming back down. He's right under it. He's going to catch it. It's all going to be good. And then you hear the little of that plane coming and just, you know, the instant before it happens, what's coming. And then, boom, right through the paper. Paper is shredded. Uh, I, I laughed. Uh, I mean, there were kids around me who kind of looked at me funny, I assume, because I laughed at this, but. I think I remember laughing pretty hard at that, too. Yeah, because I, too, no, love, Winfrey, love a nice running gag. <laughs> um, again, you know, Snoopy's thing, you know, I agree with you, it absolutely is necessary to this movie. It keeps it from being too repetitive and too one-note. And Snoopy's awesome, you know? Who complains about Snoopy? <laughs> I mean, yeah, seriously, uh, if we've reached a point in our society where where people mock Snoopy, I no longer want to live on this planet. It's that type of thing. All right. We have about 15 minutes left, and I have critics to roast. Yeah, me too. Um, again, I just wanted to ask before we move on to that, uh, apart from my favorite kind of gags from this, again, his paper going, the sight gag of him, you know, putting the, you know, black squiggle on his abdomen unintentionally, which I, I don't know why I found that so darn funny, but I did. Uh, him getting war and peace onto his sled because he can't physically carry it. Uh, I've never read war and peace. Uh, I think I made one attempt. And that, that's a hefty, both metaphorically and literally, uh, novel there. <laughs> During the Napoleonic Wars, it covers not just a lengthy stretch of time, but a pretty big stretch of geography. There's more than 500 characters in that book. It's huge. Yeah, no thanks. So the point being, apart from those, you know, gags and just generally enjoying the movie overall, uh, what were your kind of favorite gags from this movie? What did you laugh at? Now, be be kind. This was the same weekend that I saw Spectre, and the memory is uh, my, my retention for details of the movie. Not so great. So I'll tell you what has remained in my mind since then. And that is the, that is when, when the, the, the entire dance sequence, I thought, was both <laughs> funny and sad at the same time. First of all, he can't get in the door, okay? He's caught in the door. He finally gets in there, and, you know, and he, and he goes to dance, and he's with it. And, you know, he, he's a funk soul brother. Check it out now. Um and people are, you know, he's having his moment. People are cheering him. It's a great thing. And he pulls the butters. He kicks off his shoe. 
Which I think hits the sprinklers. Now, in South Park... Uh, he slips on the punch that he spilled. His shoe right. flies off, hits the sprinkler immediately over him, which then goes off, and it's all over. Yeah, everyone runs out. In South Park, when you know when Butters was tap dancing um, during the, uh, the It's On episode, I think he killed a person <laughs> with his tap shoe. I haven't seen that episode. I haven't it's seen funny. a lot of South Park. Um, but that's and I, I bring it up because that's what it reminded me of. But yeah, that entire sequence, that poor kid. Um, I laugh. I laugh pretty good at that. Um, Snoopy coming up what? with the umbrella right after that. I mean, the fact that it rains only on Charlie Brown. You know, the spring. That's the one sprinkler that goes off, and it hits only him. The other thing I laughed at, just because it's a funny gag, is he's uh, he's practicing pitching, and he builds a snowman. And the snowman hits <laughs> the home run. <laughs> For, for those of you who don't, haven't followed the strip, Charlie Brown is the world's worst pitcher. Just flat out. Every time he throws a pitch, whoever's at the plate hits it back at him. It bowls him over, and it knocks all of his clothes off. Builds a snowman to practice pitching. Pitches, and I should have seen it coming. I didn't, which is probably why I laughed at it. Boom. Ball goes right back, knocks him over. Cut to Snoopy having burrowed his way into the snowman and hit the ball, and then celebrating but he's also playing the dual role of Charlie Brown's manager. So after celebrating hitting a home run, he has to run back to the dugout and pretend to be the upset skipper. <laughs> I laughed at most of the Red Baron stuff. Um, and, I, and I think what made me laugh was the, the Woodstocks. Like there's one that, they, you know, they're, they're like playing mechanics, and there's one of them that's like an absolute idiot and keep hitting him in the head or whatever. It was that, that, I, that struck me as funny. You know, there's no dialogue. It's just chirping, essentially. No, he's the but, one who pulls their uh, control lever out of the plane to throw up the Red Baron at the end. <laughs> because they're throwing stuff at the Red Baron. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, I, I found the stuff with the Woodstocks to be pretty funny. Um, but that was it. I, I, and if you're wondering, because I know you are, what did Lily laugh at? I, I couldn't tell you. I was just... I was more concerned that she stayed yes, in Yes, I come on this podcast hanging on your every word to relay your daughter's reactions. I really just have I to know you do. confess that. Winfrey, how do you like doing movie reviews? Well, it's mostly so that I can hear what's going on in the world of Mark's children. That's why I do this. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, I want to roast these critics, and then I want I have a couple of final thoughts. I'll give you your final thoughts. But um, you linked some of these reviews that were negative. Now, again, by and large, the movie has been positively received. I have very little complaints about it. My, If I had a complaint, uh, two very minor ones. One, it's probably three to four minutes too long, which is exceptionally minor. And even then, I'm not entirely sure what you cut. It's just, again, if I'm griping, if I'm feeling the need to gripe, it feels you know, three to four minutes too long, which is negligible by and large. And for some reason, they inserted a Flo Rida song, which makes me want to shoot whoever made that decision. But beyond that. Now, Mark, why don't you go ahead and read some of these negative, some of these negative reviews so that you and I can then subsequently abuse them verbally? Uh, sure. I think the one that really bothered me the most, Tim, comes from Jim Lane uh, of the Sacramento News and Review. Uh, who's the, now these are clippings that that Rotten Tomatoes has um, has uh, put together, and you have to click on them to see the whole article. 
But uh, what he says here is the movie is a near total dud, endless at 93 minutes, useful only as an intro to the strip for the benefit of those who have been in a coma since 1950. <laughs> I mean, that's really unfair. That, that, that makes an assumption that everybody going to see this thing knows who the Peanuts are. And I'm sorry, most kids don't know who the fucking Peanuts characters are. They're not that relevant in our culture. Um, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago, that might that that was different. But I mean, I mean, the the, the Jesus Christ, the, the the newspaper is losing relevancy in this culture, let alone the funny pages. So I just I, I think it's a ridiculous thing to say. Number one, number two, you know, the movies are near total dud, endless at ninety three minutes. All right, so it wasn't your cup of tea, you old white man, but. <laughs> I think if you are a professional reviewer, you need to put yourself in the mind of the, what the target audience was and what they might want from the film. If you're reviewing this next to fucking the, you know, Gone with the Wind, I think you're missing the point. Uh, look, one of the reasons I like talking movies and doing these reviews with you is you and I have we have different perspectives, which is a good thing in this instance because we're not just always agreeing with each other. We disagree frequently. Uh, we can both adopt as needed. I mean, look, again, I may rail against the Transformers movies on a, you know, artistic and craft level. I have never once questioned why they make money. I know why they make money. And if you want me to adopt the perspective of a hormone-driven 13-year-old, I can tell you, sure, those movies are awesome. <laughs> but, again, you have a, you know, you... Uh, you bring your family to these movies, uh, so you have your kids' perspective that you can relay. You know, again, between the two of us, we tend to cover a lot of ground as far as that goes. And uh, the other thing I think that you and I both appreciate is, again, not confusing what you like with what is good. For crying out loud, if I am bored and have 90 minutes to kill, I don't mind watching Armageddon. I mean, I just don't. I'm never going to defend that as a good movie, but I have been known to watch and enjoy that movie. Well, I mean, we, we, you brought this, you brought the Transformers up. I don't think I've ever once said that these are, you know, that the Transformers movies are good. I've said it's it, it's explosion porn. You know, it's it's robots punching things, and that's all I want. You know. It, it, no one buys a candy bar for its health benefits, and so it goes with movies. And that's my thing. I think you go. I think you go to a movie like Transformers because you want to see giant robots and you want to see explosions and you want to see half-naked women bent over cars. That's all fine. Okay. Go see Pacific Rim. It's a better movie. <laughs> well, um, I I don't know what. Well, you don't have to be prejudiced, you know, but. Uh, <laughs> But, if you, you know, but if anyway, you see, about this movie. I was say, if you're going to Charlie Brown, you're not going for an, you know an in-depth look at a, a biting, cutting uh, look at society. You're not going. You're not going for, for peanuts for the same reason you go to see Fight Club, for God's sakes. And you're better off not like, seeing Fight Club. But <laughs> I feel like you know you you might as well. Like some of these reviews are using like the same yardstick, and it's like, no, you bring yeah. the right with a job. No, it's 
one of the review, and again, you mentioned you know the, the you know summations that they put out on Rotten Tomatoes to get you to click and read the full review. The one that struck me, I will not mention this person's name in large part because I forgot it. My brain has a very my brain does a very good job of discarding useless information like the names of hack reviewers. This I remember it was a woman because they had a picture of her, uh, you know, for, for her byline. Said that it was I forget the first, but it was the point being it was cynical to not attempt something new and innovative with these beloved characters. No. Allow me to tell you why you're wrong. Charlie Brown and the Peanuts characters are the antithesis of cynicism. Their very existence and the world with, that they inhabit is so fundamentally anti-cynical that we spend large chunks of time in a dog's imagination, never see an adult. And it, again, it is the opposite of so much about contemporary society. You not being able to appreciate or understand the simplicity and the joy that comes with these characters is the very definition of cynicism, you incompetent twat. <laughs> the, the line here is, it's disappointing and actually kind of cynical in its unwillingness to try anything even vaguely innovative for these beloved characters. You're introducing an entirely new generation to the Peanuts. You will, all you all that has to happen is you capture the essence of what the peanuts are about. This is not the time to go experimenting. Uh, and, you know, there are certain properties and certain franchises that you maybe should experiment with from time to time. There are, and again, kid, we, you and I talk about this at length frequently. Kids' movies don't have to be stupid. And thankfully, this is not a stupid movie. It again, it deals with concepts of failure, of in a world that tells everyone you're a winner because we're all so terrified of offending or emotionally stunting people. Here's Charlie Brown who can't fly a freaking kite, <laughs> or you know, or is tricked into uh, not being tricked into trying to kick a football and then having it pulled away every single time. And yet, never kicks the football and. This is, again, this is the essence of those characters. And you don't have parents worried about bullying. You don't, I, I mean, look, if Charlie Brown actually existed today, was a real character, his parents would be, you know, suing the school because they allow his, their son to be bullied. That's well, not, the world not, we live if, in. But if Charlie Brown existed today, he'd have taken a gun and shot Lucy by now. That's how we, again, yes, that's how we portray them. <laughs> Charlie and the point of this is this does not this movie does not tell children everyone's a winner yay you for being born it tells you that things are going to be difficult life is going to kick you his favorite star falls out of the sky for god's sake <laughs> all right let's that's that's Charlie Brown, okay? But it never stops him 
He feels badly about it, because why wouldn't you? He acknowledges his grief. He is not oblivious to his surroundings. But he picks himself up, dusts himself off, and says, you know what? That tree's stopping me from flying my kite, so I'm going to wait until it is, you know, the smallest, at its smallest point structurally, and then I'm going to try again. That And that's what you're telling children with this movie, that it's it's okay to fail as long as you don't let it stop you. And that is, again, that is a very advanced concept to teach children. And this movie does it very well. So by its very definition, it's not stupid. So what do you want to no, experiment with? I was going to say, so there's no need to weigh it down with using Charlie Brown and Linus as vessels for some other, you know, insightful look at today's culture. I mean, here's the thing. This movie was very was was 100% true to the spirit, the look, the feel of the comic strip. Every step of the way. At no point are they pulling out cell phones and taking selfies, okay? You know, this wasn't a look at gangster rap. This was, you know, no one's cutting themselves. This isn't they're, they're not taking sort of modern cultural tropes and using the peanuts to skewer them or examine them in any way. This was a this was a look into the peanuts universe, one that's sort of innocent of all of that. And you know, if you want to, if you want to, if that's what you want to do with the peanuts, if the next time around, you know, peanuts two electric boogaloo, you know, it's okay. You know, the little redheaded girl is running around taking selfies, and you know, I mean, look. South Park does a very, very good job of skewering the cultural uh, means and tropes and norms. I don't need another South Park. The world doesn't need another South don't Park. Don't even South really need the South one we've Park. got at this point in time. But you know, South Park does a very good job at what they do. What, let the peanuts be the peanuts. They, they, I don't know if the peanuts ever really looked at the world um, the way South Park does. Maybe back when Charles Schultz was doing it. But that was 50 fucking years ago. Let it go. Let the peanuts be the peanuts. Let it be innocent. Let it be a throwback to a different time. I would much rather my daughter sit through a movie and see, you know, and see this sort of Norman Rockwell uh, look at, you know, childhood, innocent childhood youth than the inevitable monster high that's coming out next year, you know, or the sort of saccharine but modern Barbie movie. And, and there's plenty of touches of modernity in a lot of what Disney does. And Disney does happen, you know, Pixar, Disney, they do, they do it well enough. I mean, there was plenty of that shit in, in Frozen. It doesn't need to be in every movie. No, it, it really doesn't. And this is another... I feel like a lot of the criticism directed at these movies is... How do I put this? You want to somehow... We live in a world, first of all, that is full of darn near rampant narcissism. All right? And I'm going to put my hand up and say, in many ways, I'm as guilty as everyone else. I'm not preaching from a pedestal here. But that is kind of where we are. We feel the need to have everything brought to us. 
We want everything to cater to us. The notion that the world of the Peanuts characters is not good, is not good enough and should be updated, you know, again, cell phones and, you know, social distraction, social isolation, you know, all of these things that we deal with, the fact not every story needs to be in that setting. Not every group of characters need to be thrust into the modern world. If you want to, that doesn't always work from a narrative standpoint. And it's the height of arrogance to assume that, well, we can do it better. And if that's your criticism of this movie is I wanted something that dealt with, you know, Twitter. No, <laughs> you, you had a deeply flawed expectation. And that is on you for being a freaking idiot. I think that that says it all about this movie. It's it, it's a it's a great innocent tale of a boy who, against all hope and possibly God working against him, uh, moves on. You know, does his best, and in the end is rewarded with you know friendship, friendship and loyalty. And uh, more than anything else, it seemed to amuse the children who saw it. So good, you know. Absolutely. Four stars absolutely recommended it. Uh, look, as a neurotic, antisocial introvert who probably has Asperger's of some variety and generally considers himself a miserable failure at life, Charlie Brown has a very that. special place in my heart. <laughs> and this movie did an exceptional job of bringing those characters and their world to people who may not who might not have seen it. Okay. I, there is no again I haven't seen I've seen very little legitimate criticism of this movie. I've seen a lot of people imposing their personal tastes onto it and assuming that because it doesn't cater to them it is therefore malignant narcissism. It's a problem, people. So, uh next Wednesday, no no movie review next week. Um, because we're not seeing anything this weekend. But next Wednesday, both Creed and The Good Dinosaur come out. One of those is going to suck. And we'll be reviewing the other one. Um, So uh, a week from this Wednesday, we'll be reviewing The Good Dinosaur. Uh, I think then there's another break. There's nothing until basically the week after the 17th, and that's Star Wars. Uh, the week, and then Christmas week, which I believe is the week after, is the hateful eight. Um, I know. Oh, so in between the good dinosaur and Star Wars is our year in review show. That's what I forgot. So we'll be looking. We'll we'll be talking. um, We'll be doing a little bit more numbers talk. We'll be talking. um, We'll kind of be going back over some of the movies that we saw. Um, Mark and I will yell at each other about Mad Max again. Yeah. God, that movie. Uh, I love well, that Tomatoes movie. It, I, what did I say? It was like, what was it? Like the number one movie of the year, according it to the It is the best reviewed movie on Rotten Tomatoes right. at the moment, yes. Oh, God, I'm going yeah. to have to explain to you again how aggregates work. <laughs> um, most of the rest of the movies that were like highly reviewed on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, um, I don't think anyone saw them. Like, um, 
Sean I didn't see Sean the Sheep. I didn't see Sean the Sheep either, and you know, and and I don't know if you know this or not, but I've got kids. <laughs> no. <laughs> Next, you'll be telling me you work in a prison. Wait, I know nothing. I know none of this about you. I don't work in a prison. I work in a jail. There's jail. A difference. My apologies. You work in the. You are a mental health professional in the correction field, who is employed is by correct. the correction field at the moment. Um, but yeah, Sean the Sheep actually on a twenty-five million dollar budget. I mean, almost. Uh, <laughs> made $83.5 million. So people saw it. I mean, it made money. I, and we can, and we'll be talking about, the, I'm not going to see it between now and then, but I don't need to, to tell everyone why it's successful. Uh, I may, uh, I, I may, uh, I'll tell you why I didn't say it. it came out in fucking February. Um, I may actually rent this and make my kids watch it. I think when we saw, I think when my when when Lily and I saw the trailer for it, she thought it, you know she thought it looked funny, and then I don't remember ever like seeing it in theaters. Well, it's uh, it's another one by those guys who do Wallace and Gromit, and those guys make really funny, thoughtful, visually compelling, narratively understandable kids movies. Um. They're the people that did uh, Chicken Run, right? Yeah. Which is one yeah. of the best prison breakout movies ever made. Yeah, no, Chick- Chicken Run is one of my favorite movies, to be honest with you. I think that movie is hysterical. Oh, Chicken Run's awesome. <laughs> so, all right. Anything else? Uh, about this movie, no, I... Uh, I will second your review. You know, I, I don't give star ratings or gra- letter grades to these movies because I think it it imposes an unfair scale because all movies are I, again a four is a four star action movie as good as a four star kids movie. You know that type of stuff. I can recommend a movie or I can't. If you have kids, I can recommend this movie. If you grew up with the Peanuts characters, if you're you know my age, 30s to 50s, and have a nostalgia kick going and want to take your kids or grandkids, I can recommend this movie. If you have, you know, six and a half bucks and 90 minutes to kill and just want to see a movie, I can recommend this movie. Uh, and again, and that's pretty much all I've got to say about it. You know, it's a, a, a great family-friendly movie. Uh, I Dude, think it will probably Chicken Run's forty-five million dollar budget it grossed two hundred twenty-four million dollars. Look, those that studio and those people over there—they know what they're doing. All right, they really do. Not every single one of their movies did over a hundred million dollars. Well, it's Wallace really and incredible. Gromit was look. Wallace and Gromit was a very popular uh British tele- series of like British television shorts, things of that nature. So they had a really good built in audience. They have amazed. a very they have a very nice visual style to them that's cool. They're written intelligently. Again, these are movies that children will watch and enjoy. If you're an adult, you're not sitting there wanting to bleach your eyeballs. All right? <laughs> they're engaging to they're engaging on multiple levels. I was introduced to Wallace and Gromit when I was a teenager in high school. And I can't say fell in love with them because I've, you know, missed some of their movies and whatnot. But I appreciated it and I have, you know, a fondness for that 
studio in that style. Those guys know what they're doing. You know, that's it's an intelligent group of people who know how to make money. Chicken Run is the top grossing, uh, highest grossing stop motion film of all time. Damn. I think their biggest uh, kind of flop, if you can call it that, was Flushed Away. Yeah, but even Flushed Away made money. Flushed yeah. Away um, had a $149 million budget and grossed $178.1 million. That is the lowest rating on Rotten Tomatoes at 72%, which is still fresh. Like, wait. <laughs> Again, th- those those guys really do know how to make good movies. And God bless them. We need more of that. So, uh, tomorrow night here on the Rattles and Broadcasting Network, uh, we will be looking at uh, three movies, two of which didn't need to be made. <laughs> That's so true. Pitch Black, The Chronicles of Riddick, and Riddick. Um, and I haven't watched Riddick yet. I'll be watching it tomorrow. But uh, It's a less the, good uh, version of Pitch Black. The Chronicles of Riddick is just... I, I described it offline as somebody trying to make a peanut butter and mustard sandwich. It's like, okay, you, you pick a movie. You know, or is, it, or is, it really as, did try to be too... Let's see if there's an inside out. Pick a plot line. Yeah, it's... It, there's two different movies, two different stories, two disparate stories being told in the Chronicles of Riddick, and they don't mesh. So anyway, uh, we'll be looking at that on the long road to ruin. Uh, last week we looked at um, how did we do? What did we do last week or two weeks ago? Yeah, the Bond uh, series. The Bond series, right? Daniel, where I make a guest appearance and lampoon the first movie's display of professional poker. That's right. You were correct, sir. Uh, yeah, two weeks ago we looked at the Daniel Craig Bond series, and I went on a tirade about Skyfall. Um, and then our October uh, series, we looked at Jaws. Uh, so go, you know, where I pitched, uh, where I pitched the new uh, Jurassic Park movie, uh, where they combine a T Rex with with a, with a shark, and that shark attacks it, and that shark dinosaur attacks a Carnival Cruise Line. I don't know why Hollywood hasn't called me yet to uh, to make this movie. Because if they call you to make that movie, I will make sure it never gets made. <laughs> I don't know what I will have to do, but I will find out and I will do it. <laughs> so we have crappy. sci-fi, the sci-fi channel churning out more than enough crappy movies about megalodons. We don't need another one. <laughs> You'll be the, uh, the, the phantom of the studio of randomly, uh, <laughs> randomly sabotaging bits of the thing. Uh, Whatever it takes, you will have to pay. I will become the triple G of your movie production. You will have to pay me to go away. <laughs> All right. Take us home, Jeeves. All right. Oh, let me find my outro music. There it is. All right. Again, we're off next week. We're back the week after that reviewing The Good Dinosaur, which, look, Pixar is flawless by and large. The week, they have only one bad movie to their entire filmography. That's Cars 2. Even their weaker end... Again, putting Cars 2 aside, which was a blatant cash grab, that's all that movie is. It is nothing else. Apart from that, even their weak movies are darn good. And when they hit it out of the park, this studio 
makes some of the best movies, animated or not, just ever. I'm a little worried about this one. Um, just just a little. In large, and part of that is because I have to scream at people about no, it wasn't just a. The asteroid that hit the Earth around the time the dinosaurs went extinct didn't hit. The dinosaurs still go extinct. Why, you might ask? Because human beings are not responsible for climate change. That's why. Seriously, they were already going extinct when that particular hunk of rock hit the Earth off the Yucatan Peninsula. Not saying it didn't hasten things. It was already happening. That's my point. But the fact that I know entirely too much about paleontology aside... If you don't move this along, I'm going to start screaming nerd like Homer Simpson. <laughs> anyway, so again, I'm a little worried. I hope to be wrong and to just thoroughly enjoy that movie. But we'll be back then. Um, if you are an MMA fan and want to go back and listen to myself and Jeff Harris break down UFC 193, we did that on Sunday. Uh, and you know, Shocking upset that I am kicking myself for not seeing coming. I mean... More than any other upset in MMA, I am kicking myself for not seeing this coming. And I should have. I really, maybe not called it, not that good. But I should have, you know, seen it coming much more so than I did. And I'm kicking my myself wife for it. so proud of herself. As soon as the fight started, she was like, I don't think Ronda's going to win this one. And I'm like, shut up, woman, you don't know nothing. And uh, boy, well, wasn't well, there egg on your face. Oh, you don't, you don't know half of it. Ugh. But anyway, Jeff and I review that show on when uh, this last Sunday. You can find it in the archives. Uh, this sun, this Saturday, I will be covering the finale of The Ultimate Fighter Latin America 2. No one <laughs> cares. Uh, the main event we'll is honest. Neil Magny and Kelvin Gastelum. The most interesting thing about this fight is can Kelvin Gastelum actually get his fat ass down to welterweight? You'll be because newsflash, he's missed twice. I don't, I don't even think I'm going to show up on your feed there and write. No, no, no. I require, I require your support as far as that goes. <laughs> okay. So, you do, just put it out there when the prelims start, and then you don't watch the show, don't follow along. I just need your moral support there. All right. I'll make sure I get in on the comments and say, I just want you to know we're all. Because if I don't know that everyone's counting on me, I might not be able to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I got you covered, buddy. Um, anyway, this Sunday on the 411 Ground and Pound radio show at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Jeff and I will be reviewing that show. We'll also be previewing UFC Fight Night 77. I forget the number. Uh, it's the UFC's debut in, in South Korea. They will be in Seoul. Uh, Benson Henderson is fighting uh, Jorge Masvidal at welterweight in the main event. Uh, I'm a big fan of Benson Henderson, so I'm looking forward to that. So you can listen to us preview that fight. And again, that show takes live callers. I give out call-in information at the top of the show. Uh, all right, that's all the plugs I have. Until next time, two weeks from tonight. Oh, Mark, incidentally... You're now using the fact that Limp Biscuit's record went double platinum as your basis for losing faith in humanity, yes? <laughs> and that Minions made over a billion dollars. Go on. I would... No, no, no. I understand Minions making over a billion dollars. I but do. Yes, chocolate, I, I, chocolate, I, starfish I, and the hot dog, chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water did indeed go double platinum. 
that I don't even understand. Uh, okay, look, you put a gun to my head. Did, is Minions the best, you know, animated or comedy of the year? No. Do I understand why it made all that money? You're darn right I do. Does it bother me that it made all that money like it does Mark? Not in the least. <laughs> but, yeah, Limp Biscuit having a legitimate music career and being a thing for a be- the better part of my, like, time in high school, I never will understand. Just, Of course, I also blame <laughs> well, Nirvana. I- well, I know you'll be loving this shit right here. L I M P Biscuit is right here. People in the house, throw your hands Please in the stop. air. Cause if you don't care, then we don't care. One, two, three, fuck. One, two, three, six. One for your dick. Oh, you're Limp Biscuit, mate. So where the fuck you at? Yo, shut the fuck up. Wait, no, um, now I'm confusing songs. Or maybe that's not. There's a lot of shut the fuck up in Limp Biscuit. There is. Um, look, again, I blame Nirvana for Limp Biscuit existing. I blame okay. all bad things in rock and roll music on either the Beatles or Nirvana, depending on your style and when you started making music. If you don't hit the button, I will. I am. I'm just saying. I blame Nirvana for Limp Bizkit. I wanted that out there. All right. For Mark Radlich, I'm Robert Winfrey. See you all in two weeks. Until then, please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. And again, our insight into the dreams of studio executives. <laughs>